not be back. I might be in jail. I might be anywhere. But when I leave, you remember I said with the last words on my lips that I am a revolutionary. And you're going to have to keep on saying that. You're going to have to say that I am a proletarian. I am the people. I'm not the pig. You've got to make a distinction. And the people are going to have to attack the pig. The people are going to have to stand up against the pig. That's what the Panthers are doing. That's what the Panthers are doing all over the world. And the big fight is coming up. Ali and Frazier, Muhammad Ali. I call him Muhammad Ali because that's what he wants. Oh, yeah, he's a big dude and he hits hard, you know. I'll call him what he wants. But uh, it's good that he's being allowed to work again. As you know, he couldn't work for three years. Uh, of course, he had a strange job beating people up. But that was his, you know, his right. He could have that job. Government wanted him to change jobs. Government wanted him to kill people. He thought it over and he said, no, that's where I draw the line. Uh, I'll beat him up and I don't want to kill him. And the government told him, well, if you won't kill him, we won't let you beat him up. And it was all because he didn't want to go to Vietnam. And now we're getting out of Vietnam through Laos and Cambodia. That's got to be the long way. you got to go through China and Russia to get out that way. What are we going to tell them? We'll only be here a short time. Just looking for a trail. Well, maybe they'll go for it. I don't know. Of course, we're only there in Southeast Asia for one reason, to free the people so they can have industry. Isn't that what we do everywhere, I think? We kind of free people and then lay a little industry on them so they can have all the benefits of industry that we have. <coughs> Oh, beautiful for smoggy skies, insecticided grain, for strip-mined mountains, majesty above the asphalt plain. America, America, man sheds his waste on thee and hides the pines with billboard signs from sea to oily sea. And we are live. Welcome in for another episode of Revolutionary Tracks. Thank y'all for coming in. Karthik, hello, hello, hello. What's going on? How are we doing tonight? Hey, Marcus, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. Actually, um, you know, I don't really, like, really celebrate a whole lot. It's my birthday today. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, so my partner uh, got me some breakfast. Uh, they're picking me up uh, some tacos right now. Um, and I get to talk about comedy with uh, you and, and, well, hopefully Jake Flores. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, I saw, I saw him come in, but uh, yeah. I think he's kind of dropped my lead in, like, oh, my special birthday present is to get to, you know, talk about, you know, funny funny people with funny people. Um, <laughs> and, then, and hopefully he comes back in. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, oh. Good day of work, I guess. <laughs> um, Very nice. I mean, like, uh, belated wishes. It's like, uh, it's not belated yet. It's still your birthday. So I suppose that's uh, that still counts as a birthday wish. I didn't get you anything. Uh, uh, no, I don't know if that's yeah. something that I should be admitting online. Yo, can you hear me? Yep. You can? Yes. Okay, cool. I'm sorry. I don't use this app, so I was all... But we don't see you, though, which is weird. This is yeah. weird, isn't it? 
Yeah. You're <laughs> um, like God. Should I leave and come back? Maybe. Um, I, I guess try try that. Try I'll be right back. Okay. <laughs> that was strange, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was... Uh, that was uh, God? Oh, he's oh, back. Okay, there, yeah. he is, there he is. There he is. <laughs> All right. Welcome so back, you're on. Okay, I'm back. Okay, tight. All right, welcome in, the voice of God, uh, Jake Forrest. What's up, man? Thank you for coming on. Oh, yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. This is a, a good way to get to know how to use a new podcasting app, as well as I'm sure it's going to be a great show. So thank you. Already productive meeting. Right. <laughs> and, so um, are you officially done with the tour uh, with Eve 6, or uh, are you still on tour? No, no, we finished um, oh, a couple weeks ago at this point, like late May, and then I had some shows kind of after that, but I'm done, done now. I'm just chilling at home. Nice. Uh, so we'll get to that like in a little bit. Uh, I think uh, definitely uh, want to talk to you a lot about your uh, touring experience, especially because it's such a unique uh, kind of setup where uh, you're a stand-up comedian opening for a, for a punk band. Um, or punk bands in the plural. Uh, so, speaking of like uh, stand-up comedy in unusual, like or unusual turns for stand-up comedy, I think like George Carlin uh, is one of the like earliest purveyors of the form. Like actually, uh, for one of the first people to be called a stand-up comedian, um, and yet like kind of branched out and uh, explored different territories and like basically that's what this documentary is trying to explore so first like let's uh hear what you thought of the documentary and uh, you know your general reactions to the documentary when you watched it sure um i i liked it uh which is a high compliment for a documentary about comedy coming from someone like me because usually they're bad like and mm-hmm. i had criticisms of this one but uh but for the most part i think they captured all you know basically what the essence of george carlin there were uh, a couple cringy moments, like I mean, really, just emblematically of where everyone's at. You know, the, when they interviewed other comics about Carlin, it's like even other comics don't understand him, especially the famous ones. You know, so I well, a couple of things that made me really cringe were like Chris Rock when they interviewed him. He kind of just made this weird point about how he said that there aren't. <laughs> he said that. Uh, we, man used to listen to philosophers and now we have comedians and i just remember thinking like but there are still philosophers that's like a crazy <laughs> thing to say and also i don't think carlin would have agreed with that uh but that being said you know aside from from a couple scuffs and, and things like that uh i i think this is a very worthwhile documentary to watch i think it captured a lot of what's going on with them um you know and it you got a little bit of the background in there because in order to talk about him, you kind of need to talk about the entire story of George Carlin, because otherwise mm-hmm. people will pick and choose the things that he said that they agree with. And, you know, that's pointless if you don't understand uh, where he was coming from to begin with and kind of how he got, you know, to his final form. And, like, uh, I, main point, I guess, being here is that he's often co-opted by right-wing thinkers. Right. And, uh, you know, you got you to gotta know about him in the 60s he was a leftist you know i mean he got arrested with lenny bruce who was also a leftist and uh that the fact that that stuff is in there i think is uh educational to say the least for people who are going to watch this stuff yeah and i, I think there's like a, I'm, I'm happy that you mentioned um this and i think it's worth like diving into is the uh, the way the other comedians interpreted carlin and um 
it, I, my my take was basically they missed the forest for the trees. Um, each each of them kind of just said, "Oh, this is this is was this was Carlin's standpoint, and I do the same thing." You know, they basically yeah. just take you know whatever whatever thing that they really wanted to highlight within their own careers that was a part of you know you know Carlin's act, um, and they said that's that's that is the thing, you know. Um, and yeah, I, I found that kind of like frustrating. And that was like for when you were like mentioning, you know, hey, there's some some cringe parts in here. I was like, yeah, the, all the cringe parts in my head. It was the Chris Rock where he's like, yeah, men used to listen to philosophers. We don't have philosophers anymore, but we got comedians, you know. And it's like, you know, what what the hell are you talking about? And the thing is, too, it's like, what what are you even? What is your comedy like? Is your you know? Because especially you know, about George Carlin in his final form. He was, you know, there was actually real, and like he even described it, there, there was writing, you know, not just comedy. Um, mm-hmm. And that's something where it's like, like, well, Chris Rock, if you, like, what, what, what are you doing to actually, like, provide some type of, you know, critical thinking towards our reality? Or are yeah, you just, I... yeah. I think you made an excellent point there, which is that um, almost everyone, maybe maybe just one hundred percent everyone else in the same like field, falls short of his uh, what he was ultimately doing, which is that he was subversive on a level, and he challenged his own audience, and he like he evolved over the course of a career in order to keep critiquing society, right? And I think. Yeah, every one of these talking heads that they interviewed falls short of that and then also does this strange thing where they say like, oh, but I learned from him. And so I'm like, you know, I'm kind of like him or whatever. And it's I, I'm kind of um, an absolutist about this. I think if you're not doing that specific thing and challenging people rather than uh, pandering to them, then you are not even in the same stratosphere as somebody like Carlin, you know, and almost nobody does that. Uh, to bring a little bit of leftist flavor into this, I was thinking about this recently in terms of the way Lenin talked about, um, like, he talked about the way liberals, you know, would sort of, uh, he called it tailing, like, because there was mm-hmm. always that question of, like, do you, um, you know, how, how do we get the, how do we get the, uh, the like, the, the farmers and stuff, the peasants, to, you know, become this activated part of the revolution? When he, when Lenin, I think he talks about this in What Is To Be Done, but he talk about, like, how, you know, there's this this argument between like his camp essentially, and then liberals. And liberals are kind of doing this thing where they're like, we have to follow them. Like, don't be, um, you know, don't don't go out and and uh, talk down to these people. Like, you have to wait for them to come around. And he would say, no, like this isn't going to happen unless you actively go out and agitate the situation and like you know lead in a way. And that's going to require challenging people who have conservative views. Which you know, in the case of Lenin talking about. Um, what do you call it? Peasants and stuff like that. I mean, that was a big problem. Peasants are, you know, the, the masses are usually kind of conservative, uh, just, you know, for a lot of reasons or whatever. So you do have to challenge people. And, uh, I know this is like a really heavy metaphor or comparison I'm making here, but like, but I think about that a lot with Carlin because he's one of the only people you see go against sometimes like the profit motive. And over the course of this documentary, they talked about how he quit like his first big, his, his first career when he had the the shaved face and the you know the combed hair and everything and he was doing like 60s television and stuff 
that could have been an, an entire career for just a regular comedian. Like that start and end of the story. This dude quit TV because he saw what was happening in the 60s. And he, you know, tuned in and dropped out and took acid and stuff like that. And then he took a huge pay cut in order to become like the next evolution of Carlin that we all kind of know. Like that's where most people's imagination of the guy originates, which is the ponytail and the beard and the weird, you know, hippie jokes and, you know, the, the, the beatnik guy or whatever, the, the hippie, uh, the goofball, you know, who's talking about words and stuff like that. Um, but he's also talking about important social issues. And like that process is unheard of in modern standup. And I think that that's for, a lot of material reasons, like if we were living in a, a place where there was a, a better safety net, uh, if there was just easier to live, people weren't like clawing for cash, really, for survival on some level, um, you know, people would take more risks. But uh, but also because of culture, like ideologically, you know, a, most Americans have become very cynical and sort of uh, libertarian, you know, almost in their political material leanings. So it's like unheard of for like a Chris Rock or somebody like that to make a, when the hell did he make a move where he fucking lost a bunch of money because he had integrity and a thing he wanted to talk about never happened. None of these guys, you know? So, I mean, that's why Carlin's the goat, man. Like nobody, nobody does that. And if they do that, they don't, you know, you, you don't hear about them. They go away, you know? I mean, uh, Dave Chappelle makes the point every now and then that like, uh, he kind of walked away from a bunch of money, but like, uh, uh, it it really doesn't. I mean, he does like return in a kind of way to exactly the same amount of money. It seemed like he had more of like a proprietary kind of quarrel as opposed to an ideological or principled position um, in the way that he refused the money. But uh, we do have like a constant kind of trope where we uh, we notice that like any artist to be considered like a, a to have revolutionary potential, that artist is necessarily having to make this conscious decision to like walk away from a bunch of money that they're being handed. So basically, like not signing the contract. Um, and and like George Carlin really like exemplifies that, which is uh, kind of like interesting that you brought up the wordplay aspect because like even even when he was doing like and and it feel and it felt felt like a very um, sort of uh, almost like a masterstroke where uh, he's able to kind of use this wordplay as an excuse to like make even more uh, stronger political critiques. Like, for example, like this track uh, that we want to queue up uh, is one such where he takes a, a silly wordplay joke into into a direction where I honestly don't think that like you're absolutely right uh, in, in terms of nobody else, you know, elevating the art form to this level. Jumbo shrimp. Indeed. What do you expect when you order that? What will arrive? Will it be a large shrimp or a little jumbo? Jumbo shrimp. Those words don't even go together, man. That's like military intelligence. They have that too. How does it There's, a, well, there's another phrase like that, business ethics. <laughs> Say, uh, we're discussing business ethics. Yes, no wonder we couldn't hear anything over here. That's like a plastic glass. We have them. Mine isn't. Mine's a glass glass, goddammit. But they have the... Get me a plastic glass. Well, I'll see what I can do. 
Pretty soon they'll have nylon rubbers. They do. They have nylon rubbers. And that's, I think, part of the, uh, the movement, right, from, like, just, like, a wordsmithy type of comedian, you know, into something real. And that's what I kind of like and enjoyed about the documentary. It's not just talking about, like, he, I think he was, like, not just about an ideological thing, but also kind of making a decision as an artist. You know, he talks, like, he's always constantly even talking about finding his own voice. Um, which I'm not sure there's, you know, like, too many comedians that I see now, and especially yeah, the most famous ones, that that really kind of, like, espouse to that that type of dedication to, you know, their art, which is, you know, comedy. <clears throat> That's a weird thing about comedy, you know? I mean, art in general, but, like, comedy specifically because it's so close. Like, s- someone on, on stage doing stand-up will seamlessly move between doing jokes that are 100% arguably just an artificial thought to make you laugh that isn't political on any level to takes. And what's crazy is when you have a comic like Carlin, who's like a lot of his stuff is takes, you know, like if you stop yourself and you listen to him, especially like that jam in a New York special, where he really starts talking about heavy ideas and stuff. You might go, is this stand up? You know, like, is this jokes? Uh, This kind of guy, the guy's just kind of like making these really interesting points in a funny way. And it's the feeling is not gut busting laughter as much as it is like, hell yeah. You know, you're like, just like, damn, tell it to him, you know? And it, there's a kind of this funny, like, um, trope about truth teller comics from the 90s that uh, there's a great episode of The Simpsons when, like, Krusty the Clown becomes one of these guys and he does the Carlin ponytail and stuff like that. And he's, like, lighting dollar bills on fire and talking about society and shit. And he becomes, like, kind of an anti capitalist. It's fucking great. But, like, it's weird because you sometimes people will go, especially if they don't agree with your politics, they'll go like, why don't you just tell a joke? You know, you're not funny. If they agree with your politics, then they're like, oh, you're a genius. Uh, that's kind of how this works. But like with what he was doing, I mean, you can almost argue, like I would joke with my friends sometimes about how like Carlin is like this brilliant truth teller and sometimes he's blowing your mind and he's he's talking about these huge historical ideas and then the next joke, he's just like, parking lots are crazy why is it why is it called a driveway and when you don't drive in it or whatever and you're like you know how does this how how is you switching gears between these two things but ultimately i don't think they're unrelated i think it's all part of the same thing and he's like shifting kind of tones really quick he kind of reminds me of chomsky honestly because chomsky's a fucking linguist and he's also writing about you know why wars shouldn't be happening and stuff and sometimes when people first get into chomsky they go like are these two how are these two things related but you know the more you read you start to understand he's talking about media and stuff like that and words are part of that and um this often gets brought up when uh you read like Deleuze and he talks about like uh the rhizome theory of like you know everything being connected in this like non-hierarchical way or whatever well i i mean that clip was a great example i think of uh you know how the if it didn't if it didn't have the the word jokes and stuff as an element as like a, a, a you know a color on the palette with which he's painting and stuff like that you know this would just be someone giving a lecture you know which is like not the point of what he's doing really right yeah, yeah that's i think that's like it's as as he came into you know i guess even like as is even described in 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 the documentary 
as he came into his own and this like final like voice that you know really felt true to like who he wanted to be um there's he doesn't never stopped being a comedian um and which case you know making fart jokes and like i, I remember like they have a clip in there where he's like talking about how you gotta you know pull your boxers out of the, between your butt cheeks <laughs> as, you know and <laughs> like in, and yeah, you know, it's like there's still those like just basic human life area like experiences where a good comedian can make funny, right? The most mundane things, you know, can make you know these the good comedian can hopefully make make it funny for everybody, right? Um, but then also then within a few minutes, you're going into a diatribe about how you know generally society is just a twisted up boxers up in, into the butt cheeks of the elite. You know, and hmm. um, it's important to do that, right? Because he's he still like being a stand up comedian. You know, yeah. I think my favorite, uh, like, non heady Carlin joke is uh, I don't know why this always stuck with me. He has this joke about how uh, people take it too long in the shower, and he's like, when you're in there, you only gotta what is it like five four things? You only gotta you gotta wash four things and get out. Asshole, armpits, crotch, and teeth. And he says it with his gruff voice like that. And I, it's a dumbass joke, but I think about it every time I take a shower because, you know, you do kind of stop uh, and just meander when you're in the shower and stuff. And it's like weird, you know, because that's like, that's not, um, that's not a political joke. But the, the very, like, like the big, big picture of what are you even doing when you get on stage and do stand up comedy is something we don't think about very often. And I think because he goes, he pulls, he pulls the, the lens way back and he starts at the very beginning, like a philosopher and goes, what are words and why do we have curse words and stuff like that? That, that stuff I think is like, uh, I don't think he could have gotten to the, you know, why X, Y, and Z heavy thing in society shouldn't be happening. If he didn't start there, because like that stuff is kind of, um important to the way that we think which is also like a big kind of linguistic concept of like you, you, we're limited in the way we think by the way we use our language you know i right. think you saw that yeah and like uh i i kind of liked uh how of all the people who featured the talking heads i really liked what bill burr um i think uh, brought to the table and uh he, I, I especially like the characterization that uh george carlin was co- comparable to like a miles davis uh i kind of hated uh stephen colbert coming in and comparing him to the beatles because like uh <laughs> it's it's a it's a reductive comparison like george carlin actually lived through a 50-year period uh evolving as a comic and the beatles basically had like a six seven year run um, and that's not the same thing at all. Like, and I really like the Bilber characterization, which kind of was like uh, eye-opening because George Carlin is a rare comedian. You can also like consider an artist uh, because most comedians, including um, like self-proclaimed like you know greatest of all time, etc., uh, who walk around right now, uh, are happy calling themselves just entertainers. Like, I I don't even think Jerry Seinfeld would consider himself to be an artist, right? Like, as a comedian. I feel like he would also fall under the category of, like, being an entertainer. And it's really important, like, uh, George Carlin kind of emphasizes the importance of, like, how you have to be a writer. Like, he says that I'm first and foremost a writer. I'm I'm an artist. Um, 
And secondly, he also brings in a, the layer of the politics, which is e- extremely clear. And I've never seen a comedian be as clear right as this, which is why like every time we encounter a, a reactionary take from a comedian, it just like really throws us off because we thought that this was a person who's going to be a comrade in a, in a serious, meaningful way. Uh, but Carlin was able to find that by always like being anti-establishment in a very clear, clarified uh, sort of way, which I don't think any other comic even came close to achieving like not even like you know i i honestly don't know that much about richard Pryor, uh so i would be uh a little uh i guess like ignorant of that um of this uh, richard Pryor's work but i don't know if there's any other comedian who uh accomplished like as much cl- uh, achieved as much clarity in his uh anti-establishment uh credo as uh george carlin so what well, do you have to say about that I th- I think Carlin specifically he's like watching like um like on a career level uh you know on a a, a macroscopic level like if you were to track his whole career in something like a, a documentary like this it's like watching somebody like pitch a perfect game or something like that like there are people who were as revolutionary as him but did not have the career he had because and it's this is not their fault but like you know, look at somebody like Dick Gregory. Like, Dick Gregory was a revolutionary comedian for sure, you know? And he was black, so there are other things working against him. He didn't get on TV in the ways that George Carlin did. And also, you know, I think part of what happened for Carlin might have been that he started so early in the history of stand-up and, like, kind of traversed the entire, you know, thing up until, well, he died, what, like 10 years ago or 15 years ago or something like that. But um, he would kind of masterfully like uh weigh the career level stuff out and not lose his footing and become a complete outlaw which is what happens to a lot of people who shirk the system and do consistently speak against the establishment and i you know i don't even think you can ascribe all of that to just like oh he's a genius or whatever i think it's a lot of it's luck and a lot of it's just the way it played out uh some of it's race you know and stuff like that i mean he had advantages and shit like that but i mean it's still incredible to, to see it happen but like you know i always tell people i know a lot of people who have a lot of interesting stuff to say and stand up you don't because they're you're not allowed to hear them like they don't get put on tv and stuff like that you have to go hear them in bars and then they also don't get the resources really because of the capitalistic nature of the way that the entertainment industry is set up. They don't get the resources to become as great as Carlin got. Cause he got tons of stage time and was able to like work out this craft because he just, he never really crossed into the threshold of being like banned banned from stuff. You know, he was always understood to be the greatest. And he also, I mean, there are maybe something to sit, something to be said for uh, the fact that he, he said what he was saying so masterfully that it didn't offend people that it should have. Like if you're in the audience and you're a conservative and you're listening to George Carlin and you might not be reacting the way you'd be reacting to like a Bill Hicks or a Dick Gregory where you're, they're skewering you. You might be so mesmerized by what he's doing. You think you agree with him, even though he's criticizing Mm -hmm. you and that fucking, you know, I think that goes far. So, you know, I think he's just a singular phenomenon in that way, but I wouldn't say that there aren't other people with integrity like he had. Uh, I think that they just, you know, he's like a moonshot. Right. Um, yeah, and I, I, and I think what... that, like, the to the point of uh, uh, the the clarity of the politics and even conservatives agreeing with him, uh, I think that, like, the the we have a clip uh, for that, which is uh, basically him walking out. This is his first... Uh, 
opening lines when he walks out on stage and like uh in this in the documentary especially like bill bill bird like mentions this as something that um he he went to this show to laugh at him laugh at him not you know at his jokes um yeah. like ridiculing him as an old comic uh who's got like you know tired material but then like he kind of blows people's minds with this yeah thank you thank you this is a lively group we have here and a a good sized audience too and I, I want to mention that this is probably I have I yeah I really haven't seen this many people in one place since they took the group photographs of all the criminals and lawbreakers in the Ronald Reagan administration <laughs> yeah yeah oh 225 of them so far 225 different people in the Ronald Reagan administration have either quit, been fired, been arrested, indicted or convicted of either breaking the law or violating the ethics code. 225 of them. And Edwin Meese alone, Edwin Meese alone has been investigated by three separate special prosecutors and there's a fourth one waiting for him in Washington right now. three separate special prosecutors have had to look into the activities of the attorney general and the attorney general is the nation's leading law enforcement officer <laughs> see that's what you got to remember this is the Ronald Reagan administration we're talking about these are the law and order people these are the people who are against street crime they want to put street criminals in jail to make life safer for the business criminals <laughs> they're against street crime Yeah, they're against street crime providing that street is in Wall Street. Man, it's I mean that is explicit, but it's crazy cuz you think about the people in that audience and it's like why do I know so many like Republicans that think that they agree with this guy, you know? Yeah, and that's kind of like this weird thing that you kind of see like the same thing with the uh, rage against the machine. Yeah. Except totally. they don't They don't there's never that that got it moment, you know? Like you see it with like Rage like too, it's like we're like like they're like yelling at Tom Morello like you're what the hell you lib commie fucking punk and it's like were you not listening the whole time? <laughs> um but yeah, with Carlin like there's still it's still happening. It's still like oh, look at him ripping the establishment and it's like that's 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 you as well. um and they're just not picking up on it but i did want to say too like we opened up calls so anyone listening in if you want to have you know any question or any comments on on carlin um maybe we could ask ask jake about comedy in general and the art form <laughs> um which i think too is like it, it's interesting because i do like i'm like joke around but like it's 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 kind of it's got to be difficult because of the line of you're just making people laugh you know it's it's not dangerously close to just fucking around it's like it's the art of fucking around um and yeah you know i don't know like that's got to be difficult like setting out to be funny and especially like if you bomb you know like i i i couldn't take it <laughs> um <laughs> there's like so yeah i'll say this there's a, there's a there's a hell of a lot of courage that i think it has to like go into it um But then, you know, like, you know, keeping going back to Carlin, the amount of times he went back 
just knowing like this is what he's going to do. And I think, you know, taking your point too, of like, you know, he had a lot of privileges that some other comedians didn't. Um, but really the courage to change, you know, the courage. To... Well, you're cutting off a little bit. Uh, Marcus? I don't know where he went. Um, well, I can speak to on that a little bit. Um, yeah, yeah, go ahead. You know, <laughs> I don't know, man. I mean, it's interesting that stand-up comedy has existed for as long as it has cause, because something like stand-up, you know, which is an art and also a medium and like a piece of, you know, it's, it's kind of involved in media and stuff like that uh, exists. You know, we as good leftists know that there's a very complex relationship between that and the material base, you know, and uh, kind of a back and forth. And like um, he existed as a comic through multiple like shifts in society. I'm really curious. You know, I mean, you never know, but you always wonder what somebody like Carlin would be like now, because there's always this hanging question of like, do you think he would turn into a boomer and be yelling about cancel culture and stuff like that? And like, my answer is I hope not, but I don't think he would mm. demonstrated his, uh, his, you know, willingness to not succumb to attractive ideas like that, that are reactionary throughout his career. But you know, there are, you know, I mean, don't have any, don't have heroes, you know, don't, don't do great man theory. Right. So like, <clears throat> I don't know, but what I do know is that like, you know, you were just talking about the, uh, you said something that people always say to me and it always makes me kind of like, um, I want to give people shit over it when they say it, which is, oh, what you do is so brave, you know? And it's like, because everyone imagines, like, you know, doing an open mic and bombing, and it's probably a horrible feeling, which it is. And if you do it once in your life and you bomb, it will be one of the worst days of your life. Like, it's bad, you know? Um, <laughs> it's psychologically pretty rough. But I think that's what, I think it's outweighed, because it's such a, because bombing is such a horrible experience, uh, the inverse of that is that killing is the highest high you can get. And uh, once you become sort of fixated on chasing that dragon and you pursue something like this, you don't even care about bombing anymore. It becomes more worth it to get the high. And so, um, you know, people get really, really into this. And then also because you get used to the bombing, you because it just happens enough and you realize, oh, you, you know, it's no big deal. Everybody bombs. Uh, you don't die if you bomb. You know, you start to like develop this scab over your soul when you do it um mm. you start to find yourself in an in-group out-group situation with other comics because when you talk to other comics you can commiserate about the bombing but you also can go like isn't it funny that we know that it's not a big deal and all these other people are out there and they're afraid of doing what we do that gives us this singular kind of in-group feeling and a lot of it <laughs> what i'm getting at here is my kind of current take on this which i'm thinking about writing a book about is uh that it starts to become very similar to like multi-level marketing cults mm. things like that where um you have people that it, you know it becomes economically a bit of a pyramid scheme and then also um you know you have people that are like spending their lives pursuing this thing and uh, in the big picture you know ask any comedian who's like mid-level or low level whether they've made money or lost money on this thing they probably lost money. Even if you make a few big, you know, hits here and there and you get paid, people are more in pursuit of performing than they are really the money. Even though they'll they'll convince themselves because we're Americans and we're all entrepreneurs and shit, uh, and, and gig workers and you know, we're going from gig to gig that uh, oh no, it's about the money, but it's really like 
no, you, it, it gives you meaning in a way. Like it, you, it's really attractive and really addictive. And, um, you know, you, it's easy to lose yourself in it. And I think that's why it's so attractive to like the same type of people that get into other pyramid schemes, like NFTs and stuff like that. <laughs> and like, uh, just crypto and bullshit like that. And it, uh, I, I don't know. It, it's just weird because the mo- what I'm getting at is that the modern, the modern stand up world is hot, is fucking farther right wing maybe than the like the world that it is a representation of um everyone's politics are inherently everyone's out for your, themselves it's very libertarian you know and it's bizarre to look at carlin and go how the fuck did his thing turn into this and what would he be like if he was still around you know do you think he'd have something to say about it looks like we have a yeah. call yeah we do we do have a call uh we can take the call let me let them in where you're on Okay. Hi. Is it working? Yep. Oh, wow. What an exciting time. Hi, Marcus. Hi, Karthik. Hi, Jake. I don't know if you remember me from Chicago. You launched my big account era. Um, (laughs) um, I accidentally made you follow a furry account uh, because you found the wrong socialist frog. Wait. Yeah. Hold on. You... Can I ask you a weird question? Yeah. Socialist frog on Twitter. Do you not follow me? Did I just follow you? And then you were like, all right. Because it... It I says think you don't follow me, but I Wait. see my tweets and I'm like, is Twitter fucking up or, and this is okay. It's entirely okay. I just want to ask you, is that an extremely alpha move that you pulled on me? Cause respect if it was, <laughs> um, it might've been in the moment. It also might just be that I just, um, I'm always using Twitter on mobile and sometimes it kind of fucks up and I hit the unfollow button. But you see, I see you liking my tweets. I'm like, is this person going and like manually, it doesn't matter. This is Twitter minutia, but I, I, I'm not upset or anything. I just thought it was very funny, and I saw you're, that. Okay. That's, 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 no, that's you're followed nice. by 95 people that I follow, Jake. Your, oh, your tweets right. show up in my feed all the all time. Right. It's all good. <laughs> but, you continue to not follow me. I respect your move. <laughs> <Okay>. No, I <laughs> just genuinely thought I was because you're because I I see them in in my feed. Um. Yeah, so now now that we've sorted out the Twitter beef, and I taught Marcus how to do mentions again yesterday. I'm so you know, you right now. oh, <laughs> well, that's a bummer. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Okay, I have I have a question about comedy, um, because I do I don't know if this is just a a vibe or if this is a real thing. Because I don't I'm I'm not a comedian. I work backstage, right? Like I don't know, but it seems like. And and this is something that I notice is different about Carlin's comedy, which I like grew up watching my my grandparents <laughs> like Carlin, which is fun. Um, I like Carlin, which is fun. But it seems like a lot of today's big name comedians, rather than it's like they're trying they're trying to be your funny friend. They're like the the vibe that they're going for is trying to kind of manipulate a, a parasocial relationship with the audience and playing more to a I like you want me to be the person in your life who is your friend who is funny rather rather than a writer rather than a performer um which I mean makes it a lot harder to be grounded in any kind of ideology or ethics I'm specifically really thinking about John Mulaney right now but interesting but it is and I, I don't I guess I don't know if it's fandom which is definitely playing a big role in that situation. Um, 
or if it's, you know, who, what the goal of being big in comedy is because it, I mean, there is more money in being an influencer than there is in being yeah. a performer. Okay. I have so many thoughts. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, that's an interesting question. The first thing I'll say though, is that um, as somebody who like knows how to write stand up, I think, I don't think John Lane is a good example of the thing you just described because I think he's an, probably a very meticulous writer the way that his material is structured because it has like all of these beats you can tell he's practicing oh yeah no absolutely um but the thing you just said is really interesting because there are a lot of comics who i think are going for i'm your friend i'm not like a truth teller i'm not a a big writer i'm a a personality and something like stand-up is you know like all art is uh shaped by the like material reality underlying it and for that reason, you've got like these interesting divides. Like, um, well, I mean, it's almost like when you start, you kind of pick a path. Like, I used to always tell people, like, you know, there's basically two elements in stand up it's a combination of writing and performing. So, some people who do it are more performance heavy, and some people are more writer heavy. So, like, for example, a lot of actors do stand up as because they're trying they to make sure do. Yeah, and they have like an agent that tells them, oh, you should do stand-up. Maybe they'll help bring you some fans. Or Maybe help. you should join an improv troupe. Yeah, that all shit. I hate that shit. I'm a writer style. Like, I, um, you know, these people, they, they're very alive on stage, but they're not very genuine a lot of the times. And they also, like, um, I don't know, they, there's, not, there's not really, like, a lot of written material. It's like, I don't know, they're using other skills. And some people are really good at that. And there's some really good shit that comes out of it. But me, I've always liked the people that, like, they bring a notebook on stage and they're just like, I have all these ideas. Their personality is their actual personality, not a constructed thing, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, that, that shapes that style of doing things. But I don't think there's ultimately a correct way. A lot of people are a fusion of the two. Um, but I will say, you know, then these people also can be thought of as like Twitter people and Instagram people. And like the actor types are real big on Instagram. And what they're trying to do is, you know, the, those types always turn me off because it seems like their goals aren't to do stand up. They're usually like the career path is what's motivating a thing like that. And that with that career path in mind, you kind of think, well, if I, if I get famous as performing a personality, that personality will get cast on like something like a sitcom as like the wacky character. And that, that that's a path and that happens to people and stuff like that it just seems to me that when people think about it that way they go about it that way their goal is getting a job which is short-sighted and boring to me as somebody who thinks you know in, in i try to think in carlin levels of magnitude and shit like that and like what is the point of any of this stuff um so i think you're gonna see more like interesting people on the writer's side of stuff but even there you have people who you know will like like somebody like a mulaney great writer and i think one of the greatest comics you know ever uh he's i think he's really funny but clean comedy to me still is just it exists within the the realism of capitalism and that it's like the point is i just want to make some you know some stuff that makes people laugh which is like there's nothing wrong with that most art is like that but you know that is inherently falling short of what fucking carlin did which is take that further to the point of like philosophy and stuff like that and examining shit and challenging people, you know? 
you know uh, one of the things that you said jake and uh, this addressing rivera's uh, rivera's point as well uh, which has to do with the uh, the kind of parasocial relationships as well as the multi-level marketing aspect um i think that like uh, if i were to take a step back and get a little bit more meta about this uh, the idea of like having cultural conversations itself is kind of directly tied to television events and like uh, you know nationalized uh, sorry nationally relevant uh, televised events and stuff like that right so every time we sit and like talk about any of these uh, artists any of these entertainers the relevance that they have to our lives mutually is the fact that they are separately relevant to your life and my life because that's what we've been told in a in an interesting uh, kind of way like by um, basically corporations uh, netflix is essentially becoming like the kind of um ground for uh, home ground for uh, stand up comedy and like basically uh, every time there is a netflix event uh, all of us get together and talk about it um and i think that like basically uh, there is a there is a kind of uh, uh, it's it's funny like that you can even see this in this documentary itself because um, ultimately what the, the the conception of this kind of culture itself is uh, is a group of people getting together and deciding to make something right like so once uh this is a jada apatow production nobody made a george carlin documentary until now and the person who's ending up making it is jada apatow um and i interestingly noted like and i'm i'm uh, i don't want to like bad for uh, bill mar too much but like i kind of noted how like bill mar was not even a part of the documentary um and it's kind of interesting because like bill mar uh, regularly had uh, george carlin on politically incorrect um and like even on real time with bill mar like bunch of appearances like many of the episodes that i've actually seen of uh, bill mar like are ones that george carlin or somebody like bernie sanders has shown up um and it's kind of fascinating how he's nowhere to be seen in this documentary and it's basically like a clique of people uh, who want to present themselves as being carlin adjacent or something like that um and i and i wonder like how much of culture itself is literally just like these groups of people basically deciding to put up a show and uh, you know having us all relate to each other where like you and i have you know a, a lot of common ground of course like as leftists like you already spoke about lenin you already uh, brought up deleuze etc uh, we do have like these other fronts to talk to each other about but it's essentially we're being uh, connected by this uh, medium which is serving as the the, the sort of cultural connection um and it, it's becoming even more apparent uh, in the fact that it excludes one of its own because it's just not that click yeah man that is an excellent point i mean it is kind of important to point out i don't know you people but like i know you in a sense right and that's kind of what we have in common here and that's why we're able to like make stuff like this but we aren't um you know we aren't operating in the same way that i think you've identified this group of people that are in the documentary um and i don't think this is a particularly bad group of people uh i mean i'm you know i don't I hate all rich people and stuff like that. I'm not really that impressed with Judd Apatow, <laughs> just on an artistic level. Um, I Kelly Carlin, his daughter, features heavily in it. Obviously, she's part of the story. She's kind yeah. of a lib, ironically. You know, I've critiqued some oh, that's stuff. that's unfortunate. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, what are you going to do? At least she's not a fucking conservative. What are you going to do? But, like, <laughs> um, uh, there, there's, one t- there's one person in the interview who I will vouch for extra hard, a guy named Cliff Nesteroff. Uh, if you're interested in this stuff at all, I would look into his. He has a really great WTF episode where he talks about um, like the history of just like racism and shit and the quote unquote cancel culture, you know, phenomenon historically through comedy and talks about how like in the vaudeville days there were right wing shitheads saying this stuff. It's like not a new concept. He's got a really great book called The Comedians. He's real smart. I'm a fan of his. Um, but like the rest of these people are obviously <clears throat> a group of friends and 
I have this um, <clears throat> this saying I've been sort of saying to myself to remind myself about this phenomenon, which is a vanguard is a group of friends. I think it sounds funny to say it like that, but like really, you know, that idea of there being a vanguard is kind of interesting because uh, without getting too spicy here, I mean, there's a bunch of people that all appear from far away to be like independently creating left media right now mm. and a specific style of it. And I get asked about podcasts a lot when I'm on the road. And I think people are under the impression that there's like a movement going on, you know, that on some organic level, which there is in general terms of leftism, but I'm always telling people, these people all know each other. Like they're all at my apartment at the same time. Like it's crazy. <laughs> they're all friends. And that does limit media sometimes. And that's, it's capitalistic in nature because once, once you have like a group of people who are all part of a scene, they become like part of the way the things they're making are getting shaped is their interests. And people also get kind of like, um, I mean, I myself kind of, I feel like I'm hanging out in like, I live in fucking Brooklyn. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like I'm in like the Warhol scene or something like that. And I'm like kind of not into the scene part of it and stuff. And like, (laughs) I've noticed that the incentives to to continue to get yourself a piece of the pie whether that be exclusively monetary or just the, you know, clout worthy or whatever, or usually a combination of the two shape, like how media gets made. And that's also why only the people with the shittiest politics make it to the top of a thing like comedy. And then you end up in this weird situation where you have people who have, um, you know, not a whole lot similar in common with Carlin talking about Carlin. And I, every time I watch a documentary about this, I'm like, man, they fucked up. They should have got, um, I don't know, like fucking, you know, some random person I know to be talking about this. Cliff Nesteroff, excellent person to book. But like, you know, I don't know, even like Marin. Marin has good politics. They should have thrown him on there, you know, instead of Chris Rock talking about philosophers or whatever. But like, I would love to know which philosophers Chris Rock thinks he is most like. <laughs> I, right? Well, he thinks they don't exist, so like, or, you know? It's like, are, I feel like he he must have done a bit with Jordan Peterson. He must have, right? He's a reactionary NIMBY from Yellow Springs. Like, how does he not know who Jordan Peterson is? But yeah, I mean, he probably doesn't think he's a philosopher. Okay, well, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I totally agree, and I think one one thing that makes me it makes me nervous about documentaries. The more the more I learn about propaganda, the older I get, I say, as a young person. Um, the idea that, like, this is a group of friends sitting down and making something together. And I think that's, like, a great thing, broadly speaking. But the idea that that, that then becomes the truth is really scary. Yo, let me tell you. Like, how... tell you off. <laughs> yeah, um, go for it. Documentary. I have a show called Why You Mad? Me and my friend Louisa talk about shit like this all the time. It's kind of like the same wheelhouse. Um, but we watched a, do- a documentary series that was made about the comedy store, which is like the big right wing hub of comedy right now. People don't understand that, but it's fucking true. That and the cellar. Uh, but it's the one mm-hmm. in LA. And uh, it was insane because we were noticing this exact thing about it because it was made by people in the comedy the store yeah and so i watched it and I went you cut out all of these other people and all these other points of view and then what really sucks is that it, because no one else gets that 
because they're not seeing it the same way I'm seeing it with like an insider's point of view. You know, the way the story is told, documentaries are, are sexy, you know, I mean, they, they can be wrong, but they're still fun to watch. and They tell a story in a way that's like enjoyable and entertaining. So it just reified all this bullshit that people believe about the about comedy in general. And I noticed it when I was on tour, I would talk to people about comedy and I, they'd be all like, you know, because like in this comedy store documentary, they would talk about they had all the dumbasses sit around and talk about how cancel culture is this huge threat. And I was pulling my hair out because earlier in the documentary, they all talked about how the owner of the club didn't pay them. And that's what made them great comics. And I was like, oh, so when the owner doesn't pay you, it's great. But when the audience reacts to you and then you lose money, it's like robbery. It doesn't make any fucking sense. Right. But like, uh, I, but I, but because it's told in a you know very entertaining way. I noticed, like everybody I talk to when I travel around on tour and shit, they believe they 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 bought stuff from you know what's being reified through these documentaries, hook, line, and sinker, and it's because it was made by a group of fucking friends who all have a mutual interest in making themselves look good and making themselves look like victims of their audiences and all sorts of things like that, and perpetuating the business they all work for. It fucking sucks. Perception is reality. Yep. Yeah, I mean it's the same with like a lot of a lot of documentary stuff about about theater is because it is usually made by either actors or directors. Um and usually ones who have, you know, achieved enough success to like go on and make a documentary about whatever they're doing. It's like you it's get like when the you get one sentence like, like there are a hundred thousand people. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> exactly. Like you know, we investigated ourselves. We found there were no problems. And like, this is how the thing gets put together. This is how the thing gets made. And it's like, well, I mean, it's not, but, but you guys are having fun. And, and, and I think this is also, it's a thing that shows up in organizing a lot, this idea. And I I do think they're connected. I'm not entirely sure how, as I'm just connecting them right now, but that the people that you organize with don't, you don't have to be friends with them, you know, but I think there's so much now in, in like DSA chapters in leftist organizing spaces, like casual less or rather less established ones that are kind of trying to pop up this idea that you have to be friends with everyone you're organizing with and you can't make something worthwhile unless you're friends with everyone you're making it with, which I think is not great. Yeah. You know, I mean, it'd be nice. <laughs> I mean, eventually, uh, if we organize correctly, it's we're gonna have be working with so many people that that you can't be friends with everyone, right? Right. Right. Like that's yeah. that's the idea. Abolish, Abolish friends. I'm, I'm, Honestly, you know. yeah, friends are bourgeoisie decadence. <laughs> totally. Oh, you got another caller. Oh, it's Come Mac. Here. All right, uh, Rave, Did you have anything else? Do we have to? Yeah. No, that's all. But thanks, guys. Glad I glad I figured out how to call in. Excited to hear what Mac has to say. Nice to talk to you. Yeah, nice to talk to you too. And what's up, Mac? Thanks for calling. Bottom right is unmute. Yep, I got it. Well, what's up? Hey, man. Hey, Jake. It's good to hear you again, man. I saw you in Greensboro. Oh hell yeah, that was a great show. Dude, it was rad as fuck. It was nice to have a nice leftist space in the shithole that is North Carolina. So yeah, I, yeah. I appreciate you and We Are the Union and Eve Six to bring all us weirdos together for at least a couple hours of, of uh, solidarity. Hell yeah. Yeah, thanks for coming out. That was fucking rad. 
Dude, it was it was a good time. But uh, I, I I hate following Riviera up on anything because she's very succinct and, and <laughs> knows what she's fucking talking about. And I just wanted to ask you what your favorite Carlin bit was. Um, because um, I, I have a specific one. Uh, and I was just interested to hear what your favorite might have been. Well, I mentioned earlier that I really like this thing where he's talking about how you only have to wash four things in the shower, assholes, armpits, crotch, and teeth. But uh, <laughs> but actually, you know what? Honestly, through watching this documentary, I have a new favorite one because they, <laughs> there's this great bit that they go through that I was thinking about when I was watching. I was like, why don't you hear this quoted more? Because everyone always quotes him, you know, talking about, oh, you should be allowed to say slurs and all this stuff. But And everyone, you know, appropriates things he said for their own you know whatever point of view which i'm probably doing with this one too you know obviously the man lived a long time said a lot of things and some of the things contradict each other but there's this great bit he has about boomers and it's like and he is a boomer you know what i mean but he's Mm -hmm. talking about how his own generation's interests are bad and he personally doesn't adhere to their interests and uh he says yeah, fucking what is it? I memed it because I liked it so much when I was watching this documentary. He says, um, you know, you, you went from free love to fucking so and so. You went from uh something to the last line is you went from uh from from you know some hippie slogan to uh whoever dies with the most toys wins. <laughs> was just, <laughs> fucking a like why you know boomers love to post carlin quotes so it's like uh, suspiciously never this one though you know um i thought i just that fucking made me laugh so hard and i was so into it that uh i'm going to repeat it from now on yeah i mean my favorite was the the uh you know they call it the american dream because you have to be asleep to believe it and then he goes on that rant for a good three minutes yeah Uh, that one's my favorite if only because i'm a jaded you know, 40 year old asshole at this point, but you know, it's, it's, it's honestly my favorite one. It's kind of also surprisingly, they don't show uh, a lot of this type of, uh, did you guys get the feeling that they did not show in the documentary? uh, The, the, the actual like edgier ones, I feel like he had bits about, uh, I mean like the wall street one also there, I don't think they had a particular uh, wall street joke. They had like more generic stuff. I mean, like some of the stuff that we played here, I don't think are from are are in the documentary. So, uh, did you get the feeling that they were leaving out some of the some of the bolder, edgier ones? That's entirely possible. Um, he has so much. He has such a large body of work, and I haven't thought about it in a while because he's like, you know, I mean, it's when something something is the greatest of all time, you don't. Sometimes I don't think about it that much because it's not that novel to me. So I actually was really glad this documentary came back or came out because it caused me to go back and think about him. Um, but like, I, there's, I mean, he just made so much stuff that that the answer to that question is quite certainly like there's certainly some harder, edgier stuff in there, um, you know. And then there's also a lot of him scatting, you know. <laughs> like I, you just kind of kind of throw a Carlin thing on every once in a while and just. Just see what you're going to get. Um, I think it's probably true. I mean, I don't know if that's, you know, coming from a situation where Judd Apatow is going, no, 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 we can't put the, you know, the two threatening one thing in there as much as it's Apatow as a director has a point of view and he's going to focus on things that reify his point of view as a, you know, as a lib and all this stuff um, and don't challenge him too hard. So, well, yeah. yeah. I mean, a lot of it. I think a lot of it had also had to do because I watched it. Uh, I think a lot of it had to do with look at who the parent company is that made it. Right. Yeah. You know, they pay a lot of lip service to being inclusive. 
you know, and da 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 da. But when you get down to it, it's it's. I think it's either this, either the largest or the second largest media conglomerate on the planet now. Um, so, like, I wouldn't. It would not be a surprise to me if you know the, 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 this newly merged company was like, well, we want to put something out about Carlin, but we don't want it to be too edgy. We don't want it to I, be too, you know. Yeah, I think um, you know the stuff Carlin railed against in his early years when he was important to free speech in a really specific way um, was anti-censorship. And I mean, you know, he was, he was a fan of Lindy Bruce, who is I, a personal hero of mine. I think the, of an important historical figure, if you don't know Lenny Bruce, I mean, he was, he was, the, he was in the, like the sixties, he was doing comedy. He got like arrested on stage, dragged off stage doing stand-up in nightclubs because he was filthy. And back then, that was something that you could get arrested for, for talking about dicks and pussies and stuff like that, you know, in public, right? And uh, that, obviously, is, like, censorship in a certain way. And then when Carlin first starts, he's, you know, he's doing a lot of the same stuff. He's talking about words you can't say on TV and stuff like that. And, at you know, then some both of those guys got involved with like the Supreme court and stuff like that and had some interesting cases that affected the way things played out. And I think what's interesting about that is that like, we don't live in that world really though anymore in terms of free speech. We don't have a top down authoritarian uh, thing that comes after you and says, you can't say a thing as much. Um, I literally had Homeland security coming to my house to tell me not to do a joke. So like I speaking from a position of experience on this, um, What's the joke? Uh, it's a long story, but it was about basically how you should be able to kill an ice agent. Um, it was a long, long joke <laughs> uh, a couple of years ago. I was justifying the idea of killing one. Um, so, Hey, Jake, like, not to cut you off really quick, but I'm at work. So I'm going to let you keep going. And, uh, Marcus, Karthik, thanks for letting me come on, man. Anytime, oh, yeah. anytime. Thanks for calling in, Mark. Hell yeah. Thanks for calling in, man. Um, so, yeah, I, but I think what's interesting is that a lot of comedians are still pretending, they're still cosplaying as 60s George Carlin and as 60s Lenny Bruce and, and 70s Carlin and pretending like they're fighting this concept of censorship, whereas I think if you look at a documentary like this and you ask the question of what didn't make it into the documentary – it's more of a bottom-up form of censorship that really forms the constraints on what you can say in a piece of footage like this, a piece of uh, media like this, rather. And, you know, I, I, I think that we kind of, in stand-up, we kind of fetishize the idea of, like, oh, there's a censor kind of coming to get me, and we all want to be the guy that's fighting that, but we don't think enough about the way that capitalism censors what you make and it creates like this kind of cone where like, you know, the authority that gets to make a documentary about this has liberal values and therefore just cuts out all the stuff that threatens capitalism themselves because they're a believer in capitalism, you know, and it never even a, a censor or an editor never even gets involved because the system kind of work, like maintains itself like that. And, uh, and, and so when people get, I mean, this also plays into the whole cancel culture thing that people, that c comedians largely think is this huge thing. You know, they're not complaining about being sent, dragged off the stage by the cops like Lenny Bruce. They're just complaining about not selling as many tickets as they used to, which is like, I mean, you can see that as a form of censorship, but it's bottom up and not top down, you know? So I think like we're in a weird space where some of these, historically, some of the, these, these 
things that, that Carlin was talking about aren't um, of the moment anymore. And I think if he was alive today, he wouldn't be continuing to, to act like they were, which is what everyone is doing right now. And I say that because, you know, you see that clip of him yelling about boomers while being a boomer. You see that he's capable of going against the, the ideology of people that he is you know in the same group as and stuff like that. Yeah, and that's something that, like, going back to some of the takeaways from the other comedians and a lot of people of Carlin and, like, kind of, like, missing the forest from the trees is that it wasn't about saying whatever you want or whatever you wanted to say. Or it wasn't just saying offensive things just to say offensive things. It was interrogating what is being told to me as offensive and what's offensive about it. You know, and it's like the N-word was never one of them. Right. 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 You know? <laughs> That's a good point. So like, you know, people talk about it, it's like, no, it's not just about being able to say something offensive. It's who you know, who are you offending and why is this deemed offensive? You know, those are the things that he was really trying to get at, you know. Yeah, totally. Because, yeah. So it's about punching word, like, up, with, right, basically. Yeah. And the thing is like the word fuck, piss, shit, you know, these words are deemed, you know. Oh, these are naughty words, right? Potty mouth talk. But at the end of the day, they don't have a history, you know, tied to oppression, right? <laughs> or of, of uh, any type of group, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think like, you would also argue that he was maybe, maybe framing the fight against um, being censored for vulgarity as a form of punching up because why is it illegal to talk about sex, you know? Uh, why is the state getting involved and shutting that sort of shit down? That's high society policing low society. You know, he was a fucking he was like a like a you know like a, like one of us. You know, <laughs> and that is an absurd thing to push people around for. And you know, it, it I don't know. There's like some freedom there. I mean, this is maybe getting involved in like weird hippie '60s free love stuff or whatever. But um, you know, I think that. You're right. The point is extremely important when we talk about, you know, why is someone stopping me from saying something? Is it out of love? Like when someone tells you not to say a word that hurts them? Or is it out of, you know, snootiness, which is what it's coming from when someone says, oh, don't say, you know, don't make a fart joke in public or whatever. You know, that's 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 your boss saying that. That's the principal of your school saying that. That's not somebody from the underclass the downtrodden telling you, uh, you know, that, that like hurts my soul is what, when people are with, that's where people are coming from when they ask you not to, to say slurs and stuff like that, you know? Yeah. And I think like, there's, there's a, another comedian that like in the, in the, um, documentary that talked about watching Carlin allowed them to like critically think, you know, like going from, Hey, you know, they say you can't wear my, I can't wear my hat in school, but it's like, the hat isn't stopping information from coming to my brain, right? You know, like, why yeah. is this? And you start going, oh, these are, you know, just controls within society that kind of just get, you know, played out. It's not proper to wear a hat indoors. And so children can't, so they learn how to be proper adults, you know, some sort of that, you know, whatever. Um, yeah, I mean, like, the- dude, he was, I mean, he was kind of a precursor to, like, punk in that sense. Because, like, you know, a lot yeah. of punk came out of, like, in like the UK, uh, you know, reaction to like a, that fucking part of culture that was just like you stand in line and be you know presentable and be a good British person or whatever the fuck, 
Um, it, that, that does stuff that does come from the, you know, from the boss. Yeah. And that's something it's like, that's something where it's like, it's worth interrogating. It's worth fighting against that type of censorship. And then you've got people who, yeah, when it's literally, it's the audience yelling, you suck and saying, Oh, well, you're just trying to censor me. It's like, no, you're censoring us by not hearing when we say that you suck. What you said is hurtful. What you said is bullshit. You know, like that's that type of thing of like, the comment section is in separate censorship. Yeah, no, know, that's, that's narcissistic. <laughs> it's egotistical to think any criticism of you. It's also it doesn't make any sense. Like comics do this all the time, where they're like, you know, pissed off that the re- audience has that reaction to jokes that they made, like you know, specifically to piss people off. You know, I'm like a little guilty of this myself. I'm a human. I make mistakes, but like I. <laughs> the, the other, I got kind of yelled at on Twitter the other day for making a, a a joke that a lot of people thought was in poor taste about the Uvalde shooting, and uh, I my defense of it is that I wasn't making fun of the victims. Obviously, I was just making fun of the name of the town, but like you know that could th- people fucking got mad at me, and uh, you know when that happens because I do like to make dark jokes as a comic, my response has to be I'm either going to change that or you are allowed to leave. Like, I'm not going to be feel entitled to you as a fucking patron of mine or somebody who needs to be in the audience. And like, there are some comics who do like fucked up comedy and then just say like, like I always liked the way Doug Stanhope, um, you know, described his act. I don't like everything about him. I think he's kind of a libertarian, but, uh, but he had, you know, he was thinks about these things and he always said that he did, uh, he's like, I do fetish comedy. It's not for everyone, you know, but the people that do like it will drive for a hundred miles to come see it live or whatever. Um, these are things you need to think about, but if you're not thinking about them, and I think Stan Hope probably got there because he did read like political economy to some degree, just maybe the wrong stuff in my opinion. But like, if you're not thinking about this stuff, if you just are passively living in capitalist realism, then you come to conclusions that are really silly. Like this thing that most comics do where they feel entitled to, you know, uh, a certain reaction from everyone in the audience. And if they don't get it, they compare themselves to fucking Lenny Bruce and George Carlin like like that's blasphemy you know what I mean it's like compare yourself to the, the f- Jesus Christ you know what I mean <laughs> um, yeah good yeah well I I want to kind of like uh, at this point I mean uh, we do have to talk about your uh, your own comedy as well as like uh, your experiences on the road and stuff uh, but we before that I wondered if we can play a clip uh, of yours that uh, I found on the internet Oh, go uh, for it. Uh, I don't have a lot of great stuff online, so uh, no, that's okay. I'm going to defend this, this too hard, bad. but go for it. We might be going to war with Iran. <laughs> Probably not, but we might be. We're in this weird middle space. It got real scary for a minute. I don't know if you guys, if some of you don't watch the news and this is how you found out. <laughs> that World War Three almost started and we can't do that. I don't think, you know, it's scary. We can't fucking send these weird ass 18 year olds we got over there to Iran. (laughs) They're too strange. Met these fucking teenagers. That's not fair to them. It's not fair to us. Certainly not fair to Iran. Can you imagine? You're just hanging out 
in fucking Tehran one day in your house. Next thing you know, fucking Scud missile blows up your apartment. Some kids doing the Fortnite dance. <laughs> on top of your dead children. He doesn't know. Jesus Christ. And then, all the other thing is, we can't have Zoomer-ass troops, because that leads to Zoomer veterans. No one's going to know how to deal with those people when they come back. You want to wait tables on a guy who's got no legs, who was born in 1999, doesn't get any of your references? Uh, that's that's the real war there. That's that's my Vietnam. <laughs> oh man, I forgot about that one. Uh, <laughs> that was obviously from um, you know the the last days of the Trump administration. I uh, I have two albums I recorded and like it, you know did it proper in front of a huge audience and stuff. Uh, but I they they banned all, all comedians off of fucking spotify recently or a lot of lower level ones or people involved in shit that i'm involved in uh so they're not on spotify anymore but you can still buy them um but that uh that was just i put that up because i recorded that and then covid happened and i was like well i'm never gonna do this i thought comedy might be over so i just threw it up but it is uh it's in a small room (laughs) i'm not particularly um proud of it as if it's my best work um however (laughs) no I, I, i i think it's a good joke it's a good joke it's okay, you know. We put it on here because we thought it was funny. Um, yeah, and it is Fortnite. My, my darker stuff. Yeah, <laughs> the Fortnite stance on a on on dead children is kind of like uh, it's it's like it's it's such a, a fucking uh, visual juxtaposition that like you can easily see that, um, and and it's and it's embarrassingly like you know it's it's something to be ashamed of like and in in a kind of way like especially comparing that with loss of life and stuff like that uh and i think that like yeah i mean i feel like in that in that sense like you are um i would say at least attempting uh something to the effect of what carlin was trying to do uh i'm not trying to like you know say one <laughs> one way or the other but like essentially that you're at least giving that a shot and uh that that you know uh, you now went on tour with eve six uh who are like basically one of uh I would argue the inter- like Twitter's prom- most prominent like leftist. So, um, what do you what wh- what's that like? And like, uh, how is your act different um, there compared to how it is? Um, you know, like how it was when you were mainly uh, performing along with stand-up comedians, and uh, and you know, like how do they receive it? What is their perspective towards it, etc.? Sure. Um, yeah, I recorded the show we did in New York, so it'll be up at some point on like YouTube or something like that to, uh, if anyone nice. wants to watch that. But, um, I mean, it was interesting because like I've toured with musicians a lot. I'm kind of from the music world a little bit. I don't play music, but I just, I'm like, people get into stand up from all sorts of angles and me. I was into like punk music and shows and working in bars and stuff like that. So, uh, it's not entirely new to me. Um, a lot of the the stuff that I was writing was written. I wrote it like on the tour for the show because you know I don't like to do this thing that comics do where they just write one act and then they do it everywhere and then they're confused as to why it works some places and not doesn't work other places. Every audience is a different thing, um, and so I started to notice things like um, like you know the 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 what people. I started to think from the audience's point of view. What are they going through? coming to a show 
getting blindsided by a comedian. Most of them didn't do their research and didn't know that I was going to be hosting the show. So there was a lot of um, dealing with that. And then, um, you know, but I, 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 I'm a performer, you know, I, I know tips and tricks about that sort of thing. So I did a lot of crowd work, uh, getting people to pay attention, roasting the audience, just doing like stuff that needed to, that got people, that kept people from losing their attention span by like um, asking questions. Like I would do this joke because we were at shows you know, I do like, for example, a joke where I'd go, are there any crust punks here? And then if no one laughed I, or if no one clapped or said, you know, woo or whatever, I'd go, oh, the train wasn't on time today, which is just a joke <laughs> about crust punks. Like, oh, that's how they get around. You know, here's your rides here or whatever. Um, stuff like that. So, like, I think I got a pretty good set together, you know, a little after after a few shows if you came to the first one sorry you got an experiment but after a few shows i got like the kind of thing together just on a craft level like that um you know, but the experience overall was really interesting like i felt like i was pretty prepared for it because i had done that sort of thing before uh but it still was pretty difficult because you're not in a good spot when you're dealing with an audience who doesn't know you're going to be there i went up twice i introduced both of the bands and uh it was a challenge, man. It was a lot of work, but I feel like I, I feel like it went pretty well. Um, it was to, to talk to, about Eve Six, though. I I, I want to make a point about you know some of the stuff I've been talking about in the through line here, which is that um, Eve Six is a is a. I I mean I like Eve Six obviously uh, for 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 many reasons one of them is that they brought me on tour and made me a lot of money and were are very cool and all this stuff but I, they aren't the punkest band i would if you ask me what is the punkest band in america wouldn't be my first answer they're an alternative rock band you know or at least that's what they're known for they make punkier music now um but they did this thing uh on stage where they explained the show and i really appreciated it because they said, you know, we're, we know who we are and, you know, our, our agents, when we decided we were touring together, decided to, uh, you know, try to get us to tour in like a package deal with a couple of other 90s alt rock bands because people like that. And then we said, this is him talking. He said, we said, uh, how about instead we book a communist comedian in a gay ska band, right? And <laughs> then the agent goes, uh, that's the worst idea you've ever had. And, you know, <laughs> that's the joke, right? Um, but I, I will say, like, some bands are aesthetically more punk. You know, they wear leather jackets and stuff and have the little spikes going and their music sounds like what you think of when you hear punk music. To me, what Eve Six did in booking, like, We Are the Union, a queer ska band, and bringing them to places like Greensboro, North Carolina, and stuff like that. And, you know, I, me, I mean, I appreciate that they booked me, but I also understand, like, I think that it is punk to some degree what they did by booking me i hate that it's a cringy sentence but i mean it in that their fans aren't necessarily i mean they did like me i think i made them like me but they were not going to go in i had to win them over you know what i mean i was bringing some ideas that i don't think were obvious to these people i am i'm not explicitly like like my act um was a little bit more sugar-coated than what you just played because i was kind of trying to guide people a little bit into some of the leftist stuff and uh, and that's that's just something you have to think about as a comic. Like you don't want to. I, mean, I was trying to do what Carlin did. I didn't want to come over and beat, come out and beat people over the head with stuff. I wanted to sort of, you know, lay some uh, some groundwork down and and pull people in a certain direction. And 
I think I think it worked, but I I think the fact that he that they booked you know these these acts that challenged their audience that's like what I was talking about earlier with Carlin, where he would go against the profit motive and lose money sometimes because his personal vision and integrity were more important than continuing to make a bunch of money and be the fucking you know the star and stuff like that. So uh, and and just like booking a comic, I mean fucking Kurt Cobain Nirvana did this with Bobcat Goldthwait you know <laughs> that was one of the last times this famously kind of happened it's it's happening a little bit now but it is like not a thing uh like it used to be in the 80s you would see this more but uh I think Bobcat Goldthwait said he had a horrible time opening for Nirvana you know and I was thinking about that a lot going into this and stuff and I was like a little worried about it but it went off pretty well um and I and I just I appreciate what they did so much, and I think that that is like that is actually subversive. The idea of of you know pr- challenging your audience and within reason, you know, because if if I pushed them too hard, they would have uh, the reviews would have all been oh this is insane, you know. He booked fucking some horrible person who's saying all this horrible shit. Um, but that like you know that's where I always come back to Lenin and that fucking that leading not tailing thing or whatever you know that's what it's that that that's the highest thing you can do with an art form like this i think at least that's what i'm going for yeah and i think that like uh it's it's kind of really illuminating that you've laid it out like this because uh you know and and i i can like easily i think uh attest to this as well like just looking at um how the posts are and like you know eve six posts about it you post pictures from the show and like we don't really get a sense of like what the show was actually like etc but when you just like post about it or when you talk about it online you get the feeling that it's more like a it it's it you get the feeling that it's already a thing you know because eve six are an all is an already established band and like uh, you're also a, a reasonably seasoned comedian um and therefore like these two going together it seems almost as if like oh yeah it's an interesting combo but like the the nuts and bolts of it is not going to be visible to the average uh person who's tuning in or, or at least like not tuning in yet because they're not seeing the act uh, but the jarring contrast is something like you know the the way you laid it out is is pre- is pretty um, necessary i think because um especially this concept of the profit motive why is this something that is against the profit motive right is there something inherently about the experience itself that makes it hard for the listener that's not true because you've already done it and you kind of recognize that like it's actually something that is possible uh, that the audience can listen to these two things together but yet like the 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 corporations that uh, run these concerts typically they don't put these types of things together because like they don't want to take the kinds of risks that um an individual or an independent artist could and that's something i think i think is also worthwhile being talked about uh, to to be talked about because um even in this uh, the making of this documentary um it it feels like a tame kind of tribute to george carlin rather than uh, a celebration a true celebration of the kind of like avant-garde as well as as well as like a, a kind of um a renegade that george carlin was um but rather a, a, a celebration of an amazing stand up comedian entertainer etc um and i think that that's like a, a distinction with like it's not eve six going on a on a 
kind of uh, nostalgia tour, but they are actually trying to still engage in something subversive, which I feel like it, it doesn't immediately come across. It feels more like a sort of, uh, I mean, I hate to use this term, but it's 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 more like a, what, what, what do you call it? Like where, um, I, I mean, I, I feel like when I use the term, it's, it's going to sound pejorative, but yeah, okay, I'll go ahead. Like the, the oh, has-been well. concert or something <laughs> like that. Yeah. Uh, like uh, like a has beens or something like that. The uh, yesteryear stars going on a tribute, uh, going on a tour or something like that. But but it's actually not that the way you're putting it. And I think that that's important to um, recognize. Um, and we need more such examples of that. I feel like. Yeah, I mean, um, well, I, there's certain like part of the audience, probably the main part that is operating on nostalgia you know and just uh but isn't even it's not even ironic it's like the, you know this band has legitimate fans and stuff like that um but what i i mean they could have done anything you know and they are not the biggest band in the world so i mean it's not as though uh this is like a risk-free move for them but i think that Max, the singer, and John, and and Ben, all of them, uh, but particularly Max, who I've become good friends with, has true artistic integrity in the sense that he saw this same conflict and uh, or conflict of interest, and decided that you know the the point of making art though is to pick the right one over the wrong one, and. Um, I think he's going to continue to do it. I'm not, well, I can't speak for him, but I, he also mentioned other artists, you know, that, that, that he was interested in working with who are, um, you know, who are not alien ant farm and they're not weedus. They're not like, what the, what the people coming into the show are, uh, expecting, uh, but still will probably do pretty well. I mean, we did a show with Evan Greer in Boston. She was fucking great. Um, and was singing solidarity forever and stuff like that, you know, to <laughs> the people that come to an Eve six show. Um, and for my money, that's, uh, that's us, you know, putting on a show that, that fucking tells you instead of asks you, you know, uh, and that's all I want to do with my career. And that's why I don't have any money or, or, uh, a lot of jobs and I'll probably never be on TV, but I sleep good at night. I'll tell you that. Well, yeah. And I mean, fuck TV, you're on this podcast. So, you know, obviously you made it. Right. There's nothing, <laughs> yeah. nowhere else higher to go than here um, uh-huh. but uh but no I, that's where like part of it you know part of becoming famous you know part yeah. of being a celebrity is I have to go in a couple minutes just fyi oh word yeah it's it's, it's kind of just like a feel like it's a, it's a it's like false bill of goods you know you see it within the carlin you know uh documentary you know and i think you see it time and time again with like celebrities like being famous isn't that cool, you know? Like, obviously, being rich, is it'd be fucking awesome. Being a celebrity doesn't really, you know, <laughs> seem that awesome with all the extra things that come along with it. Um, so I think it's worth even asking, like, why would anybody, like, why Why do we want to be that? Why, you know, like, what, what is our society driving us towards to want to be, like, that type of fucking person? Um, but then saying, like, not only... Is it okay? You know, especially as, as people on the left. But it's good, right, to find people who are choosing art over money. You know, like yeah. that's hopefully what you know, kind of the the ideology is all about. Is like choosing 
human beings, you know, <laughs> beings in general over, you know, hoarding, hoarding wealth, right? And, and then accumulating power, right? That's, that's the whole yeah. point. So it's like you're just kind of, or at least, you know, Eve Six and, and yourself, you know, and hopefully, you know, like, you know, Karthik and I, like, having these choices and they're small levels, like, right, we're not losing millions of dollars. I don't have, you know, like, we didn't have a millions of dollar contract to lose. Um, but we can just try and make those choices and hopefully uplift something good rather than try and make it put butt. Yeah. And you, like you said, you I mean, you also can't, uh, you, you also won't necessarily lose your entire ass. Like if you do make a decision that has integrity to it, you often will, I mean, you might fuck it a lot of times like Carlin, what happened? He came around and he ended up being an even bigger fucking cultural sensation because he was doing something that wasn't following and tailing and stuff like that. And that made him stick out more than anyone. So, like, you know, I always, I talk to artists about this, and I'm like, don't be a coward. Like, look directly into the fucking flame, you know? Do the do the damn thing or don't, because everybody else just ends up footnotes in history. On a long enough timeline, Carlin's going to be remembered, and a lot of these other people, you know, kind of aren't. Um, I, I also think that this is, uh, I mean, this is all twisted up by the nature of capitalism, you know? And that thing of asking, you know, well, why do people want to be celebrities? Um, you know, I mean, that goes back to that entrepreneurial shit I was talking about earlier. Like people really have these dreams that are only validated by the concept of being, um, awarded you know money and fame and stuff like that and that goes into it uh and it, it i often think what is art going to look like you know if we ever achieve you know this this big fucking break where we don't live under the boot of capitalism anymore um to me you know i always i i'm kind of living as if that i we already did that as a person who makes art and then still has like a bartending job and shit like that, you know, I kind of think that's the way to, to, to do this. Um, but I, I always, you know, I, I always tell people like, if, you know, if, 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 if you could just, if you were safe, you know what I mean? Economically, you could do whatever you want. Kind of, if we we're living in this utopian thing, we're all trying to build towards, you probably wouldn't actually be, trying to get famous and become a star and all these things, you would probably just, if you were inclined to make art, you would just make stuff without any of these motives that seem depraved and uh, driven by all that stuff, you know? And that's, uh, but that's, you know, it's not really the world we're living in. Um, but I think thinking about it that way shows you well, why, <laughs> why people get so perverse about fame and stuff like that. You know, it's validation. Yeah. yeah. Um, I do got to bounce. I'm sorry. Uh, is Should I, anything else before we go? No, I mean, I feel like this might be a good spot to just uh, wrap the, the whole pod. Thank you for, for, uh, for spending, taking the time. Um, I guess actually, yeah, there is one more thing. If you want to just give some plugs as far as where people can find you. Um, I know you just got back with a tour, but any projects that might be coming up and everything like that? Um, yeah, totally. So my handle on all social media is at feral jokes. It's an anagram for my name. It's feral, like a feral animal jokes, like jokes. I have two podcasts, pod damn America. That's like, uh, you know, we're all comics. We do like leftist political stuff. And uh, my other one's called why you mad. I do with, uh, my friend Luisa Diaz, who is an anthropologist and a comedy booker. And we talk about a lot of the same stuff we were talking about on the show today here uh there 
And um, I don't, yeah, I just got back from tour, so I've kind of cleared my calendar and I'm chilling out for a little bit. But I'll start doing shows again in New York and on the road. So uh, just keep uh, keep an eye on my Twitter if that's something you're looking out for. I usually put my shows in my pinned tweet and on my website if I feel like it. Well, I'm going to make sure that we don't follow you, but we just <laughs> just oh right, watch. yeah. <laughs> your Twitter. No, that's the cool kids move, apparently. Yes, absolutely. Well, Jake, thank you so much uh, for, for for hanging out. Um, and on my birthday, too, right? What a fucking, Oh, happy birthday, man. What a, what a great birthday it was. Um, but uh, no, we should do this again sometime um, and, and, and dissect other, other comedy. Because there's a whole lot of issues, too, especially getting into like, some of the comedians that have, that have more recently sucked. Um, oh, there's so much. And- That's why I have two podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, you, you should you should bring uh, Max of Eve Six. We should talk about this uh, strategy of uh, you know artists uh, kind of risking the profit motive and stuff like that. Yeah. Hell yeah. We're- All right, y'all. Well, thank you for listening. Um, we will be back Friday because today's Wednesday. Who do we have for Friday? I'm gonna bounce. Thanks, America- y'all. Oh, take care. Later, Jake. Uh, we got Amerigo Gazawe, uh, oh, nice, who nice, nice. is a producer, and uh, he has an album out, uh, which is an instrumental album, which is pretty great. Uh, but it's also going to be good to talk to him about just generally making music and uh, the music industry and like publication and stuff like that, because he does a lot of that. Uh, and it's it's an insider's uh, take, and he he was I think he made the Apple iPad commercial or something like that. One of the yeah, sounds, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. he's yeah. That's um, he's he's uh, <laughs> one of the many things he's gotten to you know make. But yeah, that was one thing that he actually got a pretty big check for. Um, so yeah, that's coming Friday at three thirty, and we'll see you then.